0: This is side. welcome to Let's Talk, a place for open conversations. On today's episode of Let's Talk, I talk with inspiring advocate, actor and author, Malik Pincholi. Malik's an active voice in the anti-bully organization, Act to Change. Also, Kristen Kish is the winner of Bravo's Top Chef season 10, where she stood out not only for her exceptional cooking, but also for a compelling personal story. Malik Pancholi is an actor known for his roles on 30 Rock, Weeds, Whitney, and voicing animated characters in Phineas and Ferb, and Sanjay and Craig. But outside of the industry, he is a passionate activist and leading voice for the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Dedicated to amplifying this voice, Malik has also penned a children's book, whose protagonist is a young Indian-American. I first discovered Malik's activism through Act to Change, which he co-founded and has drawn support from many Asians in media. Recognizing the importance of this work, which speaks deeply to me, I wanted to get his perspective on how our AAPI identities are being shaped in this tumultuous climate. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> well, I've been watching you the last six weeks, how active you have been on the internet, really helping to spread the word for act to change So let's jump right into that. What to change
1: act to Act2Change is an anti-bullying uh, organization. We're here for all young people, but we specifically uh, focus on Asian American and Pacific Islander youth, which includes... Um, the full diaspora of East Asian, Southeast Asian, South Asian, Sikh, Muslim, immigrant, it's also LGBTQ kids. So I'll just give you a, a, brief, um, a brief background. Wait. So in 2014, I was appointed to serve <laughs> on uh, the President's Advisory Commission on Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And, uh, and while I was there, the previous commission had started to work on anti-bullying efforts, but they, mm-hmm. all of us commissioners were sort of tasked with what is it that we wanna carry during our time on this administration. And uh, when I looked at what they had started around the anti-bullying work, I was like, this is what I wanna do. Um, and so we, we actually formed the first ever AAPI anti-bullying task force at the White House. Wow. It was 25 people from five different departments. And it was like, it was crazy how quickly things were, were moving. I mean, there was such a drive to do good for the people. And we put together this task force we went out we did 29 listening sessions around the country we met with parents we met with teachers we met with students of course and we talked to them about the way bullying was presenting and what we need to be doing better to eradicate it from those listening sessions we came back to this understanding that Asian American and Pacific Islander kids were being bullied in ways that weren't always being addressed by the campaigns that already existed whether it was for their appearance the shape of their eyes wearing a turban Uh, the color of their skin, the accents they speak, um, perceived immigration status. You know, I think we've all heard the go home, go back to where you belong. There weren't really other anti-bullying campaigns that were dealing with that. Um, And we also understood that culturally, parents in our community didn't know how to talk about bullying.
0: I grew up with that because I know that my parents definitely didn't have that education to help us to deal with what we're dealing with on the social capacity every single day, right? Your parents tell you, stay invisible, hide, and just do really good in school, and be a doctor, be a lawyer, show them what you got, but don't cause any noise. And because they didn't know how to make the right kind of noises out there, to make a difference.
1: When we were starting this campaign, it was 2015, and there was still a lot of anti-Muslim and anti-Sikh hatred that was happening. And, you know, we literally heard parents saying, well, if a kid calls my kid a terrorist, you know, well, they should just do their homework, don't worry about it. And not really thinking about the real damaging effects. You know, like we Absolutely. we know that bullying has severe impact on mental health. You know, at the least it might mean not doing well in school or becoming introverted or dropping out of school. And at its worst, it can lead to suicidal tendencies and depression, addiction. That's kind of how Act of Change formed. And then uh, in 2017, when the White House turned over, it became very clear that this could no longer exist as a White House campaign. So wow. myself and a few other folks from the White House, we, we kind of, it was just like a few of us being like, we gotta keep this alive. And we stuck with it. And now we're, you know, a full fledged nonprofit. We've been able to really respond to what's been happening in the world in the last few months and certainly what's happening today.
0: I couldn't be more excited about active change to allow Asian people not to be silent.
1: Yeah, so a, a year ago, we partnered with elected officials and municipalities and organizations. And we, a year ago, May 18th, we, Act to Change, um, had May 18th declared as the first ever AAPI Day Against Bullying and Hate.
0: That's uh, the day I found you, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, but so, but so last, so a year ago, it was it was a pretty small event, honestly. You know, it was our, our first year doing it. We were a small organization then. Um, this year, May 18th, and I do think this is largely in part to what was happening in the world. This, idea that what was happening with the racism against Asian Americans, we had 200, I think, partner organizations that sign on to the day, and that included a, the full diaspora of like elected officials, um, every major city across the country, organizations that span, you know, LGBTQ organizations that 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 their focus isn't just API stuff you know, we really brought all these people together. And for that day against bullying hey, which, which you saw, you know, it was, it was Lisa Ling and Daniel Day Kim, but it was also Padma Lakshmi and took yeah, France. Cool. And we literally brought the full, together the full um, diaspora of Asian Americans. Uh, so May 18th, um, just a like, quick educational lesson is the birthday of Vincent Chin, uh, who was a, a Chinese American man who was murdered in 1982 in Detroit on the night of his bachelor party uh, by people who thought, Uh, He looked Japanese um, and there was a lot of racial tension because it was in Detroit, it was outside Detroit and the auto industry had been, you know there's this perception that the American auto industry was going down because of of Japan. So it looked very similar to the coronavirus. So this idea that that we think this is happening because of you and we hate you because of it and we're gonna attack you because of it. So the second annual AAPI Day Against Bullying and Hate was on May 18th uh, as it will always be. Um, on the birthday of Vincent Chin and Helen Zia, uh, who is a journalist who was very active in galvanizing the community and and getting charges pressed against Vincent Chin's murderers back in 1982 was one of our guest speakers. And it was amazing hearing her speak because she talked about when, when Vincent Chin was murdered, it was really the first time that the Asian American community came together like the full diaspora of Asian Americans and across Gender and age and sexual orientation. What's kind of amazing to watch. I have gotten the sense that our community, but we have this coalition of Asian Americans coming together. And then when George Floyd was murdered, and we hit this "enough it is enough" state uh, around the murder of Black people in this country, I do believe that we have finally begun to see our fight tied to theirs, and we are all really coalescing. and And I think. You really see it across social media. You really see it with like our generation and younger. I think one of the challenges we have now is to have the difficult conversation with people in our own community who are still racist against black people. And by the way, I think we all have inherent racism. We have to find where it lives inside of us and and address it. But certainly some people have a lot more than others. And we need to have that conversation. And we we need to, you know, if it is arming ourselves with the information, we need to educate ourselves and have the links to send out. You know, we need we need to have the information. And and by the way, like, it's not on black people to educate us and it's not on the elders in our Asian community to educate us. It's our responsibility to educate ourselves.
0: Even within our own community, the anti-bullying is so, so important. It's not just being bullied by the other colors. In a different shades of who we are, we need to really come together and celebrate each other because in the world of at least my business, as you know, for Asian people, a lot of them who become very successful in America do not go back and celebrate their own heritage. And, and that's something that always bothered me. Asian community don't always support each other. Yeah, They don't. And I'd be the first to admit that. But when I see the black community, when I work with my friends, they are so collectively solidarity, it's incredible. And I wish for that for our community because yeah. that's something that I still find it very difficult to understand that why, why are we still going, I mean, it's 2020, and we have to educate our own color to love ourselves? There's a common subject we encounter when we talk about equality, that we can only find balance by being separate rather than uniting. The fear that granting everyone rights will infringe upon our own. As a photographer, I've encountered this notion By shooting with certain publications, you exclude opportunities with others. Malik and I talked about this disparity and also how we need to find a new vernacular to talk about identity and roles. One that is respectful to all.
1: I think that we've come from an ideology of scarcity. You know, this, this idea that like, Uh, There's very little out there and if I'm going to get accepted, if I'm going to make it, if I'm going to get ahead, I'm going to have to behave a certain way. I'm going to have to do this for me and I can't share that with anybody, you know, like um, and and I do think that hopefully, I know that I personally am moving towards this and I hope people are moving towards this, but this idea of abundance that actually, if we all just help each other, we will all move forward. (laughs) We will all move forward together. There's enough for everybody. We don't have to fight for the scraps at the bottom of the barrel, you know, and I think that, I think that that's you know, when I hear you talk about these stories of like, oh, I don't do that magazine. I only do the big white people <laughs> magazine. I think part of it, in situations that have felt similar to me, that part of it came from this idea that like, oh, if I do that, I'll, I'll be seen as too Indian. I'll be seen as too this. And I need to be seen as this in order to succeed in this world. And like, I think that's changing.
0: It has yeah. to. One of the reasons that I'm being so vocal about it because I think it does need to come to the surface. There are amazing Asian designers like Jason Wu, who is so inclusive in what he does. And he really embraced the idea of the cultural diversity from different colors and coming together. You have to have your voice heard in our own community first. You gotta fix your own community first before you can try to assimilate yourself into a community that you think you're the only one. Because being by yourself doesn't work. You can learn that from the nature. Fish don't swim by themselves, right. they swim in schools. So they don't you know so they're stronger together. It just that's, that's my learning right now of tolerance in a way, of understanding in a way, or of accepting that that's their journey and I'll take my own and find peace in it. Because in the very beginning of having the structure of getting on here and having my voice heard, it was a bit of a struggle, right? There's a balance. I have to go, yeah. oh, can I say these things? Can I be dishonest about the situation that happened? And then I realized everybody's going through this at a very different speed. And we're all trying to find out what what is appropriate the language of world urban is no longer going to be in the music genre and that's how progressive these are all learning that we're over with right now and i'm yeah. trying to figure. i am struggling trying to figure out what is right thing to say still
1: so. yeah i know i mean i think i think that it's like a slightly uncharted territory and we're probably gonna make a lot of mistakes and you know like i have to be honest like when i read the news about gone with the wind this morning I was like, gosh, I haven't seen that movie in so long. I guess in my mind, I was like, this is just a movie of a certain time period. And this is actually what happened. And I also know that like Hattie McDaniels was the first black woman to win an Oscar and that's her performance. So I was like really surprised. And I have to be honest, you know, I just read this about this this morning and I haven't read enough about it. So I don't know, like, are they gonna reinstate it? Are they gonna, I don't know what the thought process was.
0: The the thought process is to make sure that the disclosure to let people know this is, uh, bad depiction, this is a characterization of slavery. We're not celebrating the South or the North, we're not celebrating conservatives, we're celebrating. They they wanna make sure the movie is being watched as a, not even entertainment, not a celebration, but in a way of just, this is a conduct and product of this time. And that's why this movie was made. They wow. just want to have that disclosure yeah. to, to be there. But how far do we go? How far do we go? Do we go back into breakfasts and tiffany's and say, no Mickey Rooney, pretend he was Asian and he had buck tooth and he was played right. an Asian character. Right. Do we now take that movie off circulation as well? I, I don't have an answer for that. But so when know. they talk about yeah. Gone with the Wind, first thing I remember is, oh my God, remember Mickey Rooney, <laughs> you know? Right, 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 right. <laughs> Like you said, it's absolutely right, it's uncharted territory, and our, our moral compass is being challenged every single day right now. To express the identities we want to see in this world, we have to manifest them. A mirror where everyone feels reflected and seen. Millie shares why he became an author and wrote the best at it.
1: I wrote a book. It's called The Best at It, by the way. (laughs) But it's about a 12-year-old gay Indian-American kid. Part of the reason I wrote it was that I wanted the representation that I didn't see in in books when I was growing up. You know, I I never read a book with an Indian-American character. And in fact, when I went on book tour, because the book is for a middle school audience, I would speak to, like, an auditorium of 700 kids and say, Hey, how many of you are reading a book with a lead Indian-American character? And, like, one hand would go up. and sometimes. Um, the teacher on the way out would be like, hey, I just, you know, that's actually, that character's not actually Indian American. They're they're kind of confused. And there's just, like, that representation just doesn't exist. But, but I bring this up to say that when I was a kid, I loved books, mm-hmm. but all the characters were white. And so often I would think I had to be more white just to exist because what, like, why was no one telling our my story? Why were there never characters who looked like me? And so I think that's still why we have to kind of say, I'm Asian-American or Indian-American is because I don't want you to assume that I think white is better. I think white is the default. Right. Um, And in fact, like, you know, I hope with my book, I've been doing like virtual classroom visits. And now because the book's out, a lot of kids have read it. And there's so many white kids who relate to the lead character. So it's not that we can't relate to each other, but like we have to have our stories out there, you know?
0: I used to work at Disney as a dancer when I was young. Oh, Uh, wow. And there was no parts for me, right? So I'm always in the mask always in a mask and once in a while i get to take my mask off and i'd be one of the dancers and there was only like i can count in my hand three asian people um on um, you know in the yeah. parade and then here comes aladdin oh you can do aladdin you <laughs> and i go guys um don't you want to find a Indian guy to play Aladdin, <laughs> but that's how oblivious the world was, right? It's like, wait, yeah. you masked me the entire time for three years I'm working with you, and all of a sudden my mask can come off because my skin is darker in color. It, it, yeah. it, that stuck with me forever. And then, of course, um, when by we... the
1: way, I got my equity card playing Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's what it was. Literally, they were like, oh, if you're, if you're
1: brown, then you can only play the brown Part. And there were so few brown parts. I mean, but it's, it's, not, it's
0: awesome. But awesome. For me, when I look at your career and where you are right now and using your platform to spread love about dark-skinned people in general, and it, it makes me so proud because I definitely grew up in a very different way, where I, I did look on television and wondering if I... Anybody looked like me. I mean, at the time when I was younger, only thing I remember was Joy Luck Club, you know, and there was Connie Chung. You know, yeah. Joy Luck Club and it's stereotypical what Asians are supposed to be. But for me, I did want to get into entertainment industry when I was younger, and I was so oblivious of color that when I call central casting to find out what they're looking for for that day, I show up for black people casting, I show up for yellow people casting, I show up for <laughs> white people casting, and I did because they're like, "You're in the wrong casting." I go, "You need a man, and you need to be able to role to play. I can do that." Um, <laughs> he goes, "But you didn't listen to the whole entire casting breakdown. We're looking for a white guy." I go. I can be a white guy. And that's, that's how I really was. I had no clue. And part of that really helped me break into the industry because I show up at the wrong places at the right time all the (laughs) time, because I wanted to be oblivious to that. But what's interesting is that that doesn't work now. As our conversation winds down, we discuss how we can contribute to stop bullying and carry the conversation forward how we can advocate and be agents for change, both in the world and in the way we perceive ourselves. What yeah. can we do to help? How do we support this organization? all simple, simple things are follow
1: us on social media. On Instagram, we're at um, at underscore act of change. On Twitter, we're at act of change, at Facebook, act of change. I'm not in the business of trying to like get followers, but, it, but it's really so that you can hear the messaging and also understand what's going on in the world. Uh, we have a website, it's acttochange.org. Uh, on the website, we have an opportunity to take a pledge to stand up to bullying. And it's, you know, it's as simple as clicking a button, but what it requires is that you read um, some information around what bullying is and ways to be a, not to be a bystander, but to to, to support someone who might be being bullied. So it's a, it's a really easy lift to do it. Obviously you can donate at acttochange.org. Dot org, But we've gained a lot of traction in the last several months because we've been hosting um, a number of webinars around the rise in hate due to the coronavirus, um, now around supporting Black Lives Matter and the need for unity between Asian Americans and Black people. And those have gained a lot of traction. You know, we are, our events are getting viewed like 50,000, 60,000 times, which for a small nonprofit is quite a reach. So yeah. you know, check
0: that out. Yeah. Well, timing could not be more important for people to know this organization. And what I love about it is that you're de- you are actually redefining the word bully. And you know, 20 years ago, coming to this country living in Terry Hill, Indiana, and moving to a little town of 30, 40,000 people in Robinson, Illinois, you know, bully it was just simply somebody pushing you. Or maybe they say, where are you from? Go back to your country or or whatever just name calling. But now bully is not just what we see in school. Bully is what we see. We can walk in down a public space. The word bullies now is synonymous with racism. Lack of tolerance. I hate the word tolerance because why should we be tolerated? We should just be accepted. It's acceptance. <laughs> right? right. right? It's a, so I think the vernacular is beginning to change in our world right now and it's so important to know for people who are watching. When we talk about anti-bullying, it's not just, oh, five-year-old and six-year-old on the field and they're fighting and you tell them don't do that, don't do that. This, this, that behavior stays with the kids and growth into high school and god knows high school is the most vicious time and then and go to college and then we are seeing it now and realize that isn't everywhere we see everywhere we go this is the time to really define what bully really means in our society and how how can we collectively as communities you know fight against that and we're seeing that every single day you know
1: we moved around a lot when I was a kid, and we lived in, I lived in Dayton, Ohio, and Wabash, Indiana, and then Houston, Texas, and then Tampa, Florida, all before I was like eight years old. But I remember in Tampa, Florida, being maybe maybe 12 years old, I'm not even sure, and my, my mom, we're driving down the highway, and my mom gets rear-ended, clearly the other person's fault. Uh, we get out of the car, and it's it's a white, athletic, kind of like, you know, classic sort of American dude, and he says to my, my mom's like, we need to call the cops or whatever. And he's like, he says to my mom, why don't you go back to your own country? Now a million things have happened to me in my life between like zero to now, but it stays with me. You know, we, we did the solidarity combo for Act of Change and we had um, Bo Tao Urabe, who's the executive director of the Coalition of Asian American Leaders um, based out of Minneapolis. And they issued a statement when George Floyd was murdered. And in their statement, she talked about how we like our like Asian Americans, our acceptance in this country is conditional. And we and we find out that the racism comes up whenever there's an incident that allows it to sort of to, to release this underbelly of racism. You know, we saw it like post 9-11 with, with people who look like me. Uh, we saw it with the coronavirus, with people who look like you, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so um, this idea that we're still um, we're still not thought of as fully American is a it's a real it's a real
0: problem. Friend of mine called me the other day. He said to me, Hey, can you stop calling yourself Asian American to say you're American? And my skin sort of crawling. And I right. and he is whitest white friend I have, my closest friend. He goes, wouldn't you think that would just stop racism when you guys, you guys, stop separating yourself from the black?" Wow. I know it was with all good intention, right? For him, it's like, I love you, Yusai. I know you for this many years. I don't see you as Asian American. I see you as American. But I said to him, I said, but I see myself as Asian American. I embrace it so you can be reminded that we yeah. can be inclusive being different. And it's fact, that you did culturally for four, 500 years, you didn't include a huge population of people who have darker skin. It's where we are today. People are not educated to understand racism in the Asian culture. Perhaps in a black and white world of the black race and the white race, they, it's more easier for them to understand. But in that shade of black to yellow to white, there's a gray area that they don't know they're being racist.
1: That argument of like I don't see color. I mean, so so to me. Uh, the problem with that that the idea of like you should just think of yourself as American is that the default in our country is white And the thing is like I'm actually very proud to be Asian American I'm very proud to be Indian American. I'm very proud to be South Asian American. All those categories mm-hmm. that I fit into are not to amplify the difference, but it's because Because white shouldn't be the default <laughs>
0: Kristen Kish waves, winning on season 10 of Top Chef as an outstanding chef, a team player, a model, and a Korean American with an unconventional story. Her honesty and stereotype-shattering lifestyle belies her self-proclaimed shyness. I wanted to know what was her drive and curiosity that propelled her on her path. Thank you for being with me
2: today. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to meet you. I remember back
0: when you were on season 10, when you hit the screen for the first time, I went, what is this gorgeous model doing on the cooking show?
2: (laughs) Oh my God. Let's dive right into that. Oh gosh. So I guess when we say model, I use that word very, very loosely. I feel like bottles are these savvy business people who are so confident and have The knowledge and the know how to be in front of a camera. I never have, and I never did. And it's still a little weird for me sometimes. But um, when I say model, it was like, you know, scouted in the mall at 13 because I was like tall and really lanky, uh, especially for an Asian woman. Through insecurity and thinking that I wanted to do something that looked kind of glamorous, I threw myself into it. Now, was I ever horrendously you know successful or bad no I kind of just slid right in the middle and I just kept that comp card and I kept that contract and I just had like the card to say I was a model so we use that term very lightly very lightly
0: (laughs) well Kristen I gotta tell you being in the fashion industry we don't get a lot of Asian models out there for representation and you are the quintessential type of Asian models in America that the, at least the Caucasian world think what Asian should be. You have the perfect slender almond eyes, you have the perfect fair skin. When we can fashion, people define each individual category so differently, and there's mm-hmm. a stereotype that goes with it. and it's funny that I mentioned that now is because we're in a time that we're breaking all those stereotypes and boundaries, and along the way of your career, you have absolutely done that. I think a lot of times Asian Americans don't realize. What they're doing quietly is actually making such a huge noise and voices out there. And I think over the last five years, as I followed your career, you really, really embraced it and owned it. Because when you were on the show, you were just working. And let me paint this picture for everyone out there. Because it was on Bravo season 10, competing among the big guns on that show. And you were a relatively unknown chef at the time. Week by week, she just put the hustle and the grind into the work I absolutely love watching you work there's a such a calm demeanor about you as you went through that
2: (laughs) I'm glad that came through because that's certainly not what it felt like (laughs) well let's talk about that how many seasons did it take for you to get on the show because you have to go through audition process I never auditioned I never had I never had the desire to want to be on the show. I, of course, watched it being a young cook and watching all the chefs. And there's this fear that when you watch and, you know, from the comfort of your own home, like, oh, I could totally do better. Like, why are they doing that? And you start questioning everything out loud. You're rather critic at that point. And I never really wanted to. And it just, it timing happened and who I was working for at the time, my mentor and, uh, you know, who I call my family now, Chef Barbara Lynch was the one to say, okay, scoot you along. They're asking if I have any chefs that I could recommend. She threw my name in and I was like, oh my God. Like, okay, now there's a lot about me that means it doesn't make sense for me to go on TV. There's a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of self-consciousness. There's a lot of um, social anxiety. There's a lot of these things. And so for me to go on TV was a very odd thing, but I did it. Um, thankfully, it showed well because my hands were shaking, I was sweating so much and it was just a nerve wracking but really fortunate uh, experience. People always want to know for Quick Fire Challenge on Top Chef, is it truly exactly the time
0: they give you? Do you get grace periods? Is there, is it, is it true reality? Because. Everybody knows I've been on a few reality shows myself and there are definitely twists and turns that sometimes snips dip into editing Mm -hmm. to make it more exciting. So tell the truth.
2: Yeah. I swear to you when they, you have like a a brief split second where the cameras go blank to go over the rules and all that stuff, but you don't work during that time and you can't even talk. Um, So it is legit. They say, go, here's your time. And when that time is over, you better have something, something, anything to
0: show for yourself. Do they use the term you're on ice on your show?
2: They do. And you? Yes. You you know, you know.
0: This is a funny term in reality TV or any TV show that requires competition. What we'll tell the, the contestants, you're on ice. That means you're not allowed to talk to anyone. You're not even supposed to look at the judges. And on top model show we're on, and and so much so we have the contestant actually have to turn around and not see the preparation what's happening mm-hmm. what you get to see on screen truly it's only a fraction of the stress level that you guys were pretty much prison,
2: right it's, it, it is it's difficult it is hard it's an experience that i've never had before um and one that i probably don't need to have again
0: so you won't be returning for an all-star, you won't be returning
2: no, a for... gift. <laughs> no, I'm okay. I'm okay. My my competitor Chef hat is is definitely hung up for a little bit. Unless it's for a great cause, for charity, it's bringing awareness to something i bigger than who I am. Certainly I would entertain the idea, but no, I'm I'm good. I'm good.
0: <laughs> Asian Americans rarely fit a mold that society dictates especially as we cross generations and assimilate into American culture as a whole. No matter, we're always bound by our DNA, and our identities remain and emerge, although everyone's story is different. A lot of people probably don't know that that you adopted. You adopted and raised in a Caucasian home.
2: Yes, and you know, I was adopted at such a young age, at four months old. So I was born in Seoul, and then I flew from Seoul to Detroit, Michigan, and drove across the country to where I inevitably grew up, which was Grand Rapids. Predominantly, you know, white neighborhood, but certainly we did have a lot of diversity in my school systems and even in my neighbors and everything like that. So I wasn't completely sheltered off mm-hmm. from people that looked like me, but I I guess I didn't know any better. And it's just, I've always said that I was really, really bad at being a Korean. Like I've, ter- I've ter- and I struggled with it a lot. And there's some, some things that I still continuously question about myself, but for the most part, it's, it was my life. And I don't know anything outside of that. But
0: it's interesting is that because, you know, I obviously I grew up in Asian household, mm-hmm. aunties and grandmas, and everybody's always trying to educate us as we in the United States to so hold on to your values, of mm-hmm. Asian values and Asian traditions. How did your family, your parents help you go through the cultural integration into the world of non-Asians?
2: Well, you know, I think for a long time, we didn't realize that I looked different. You know, you see white parents with a little Asian baby and it's like the cutest little thing, right? Like clearly I'm adopted. As I got older and my mom realized what it meant to introduce people that look like me. Um, so mm. she, was, she is now retired, but she was a school teacher. And so she had access to foreign exchange students. And so she would oftentimes invite um, these Korean foreign exchange students into our home. It wouldn't be like a lesson in Korean, but it would just be putting the two people together. So I had someone to look at and to say, okay, wow, this is really interesting. I went to um, adoptee summer camps um, to meet people that were also like me. And she would read me the Korean Cinderella and we would go to the one Korean restaurant, which was like basically just Asian restaurant, Um, you know, in in our hometown. And so it never really struck me as this intentional effort didn't hit me yet. And it wasn't until much, much later on until my adult years that I realized what she was doing and how important that was.
0: How did you start taking on that responsibility for yourself to learn about your culture and wanting to learn about your culture, right?
2: You know, it it happened a lot later than probably what some are expecting to hear. It really wasn't until Top Chef because what ended up happening was I was, I was always this kid that I knew I was Asian. I knew I was Korean, but I also did want to fit in. And so like, I got colored contacts. Like I looked in the mirror Mm -hmm. and I always thought I looked so plain and I just wanted something to feel different. And meanwhile, I, I couldn't have looked any more different than my family. So, but I'm doing contacts and eventually, like the tattoos started happening and trying to cut my hair in different ways that made me feel different. And then Top Chef happened. And so what ended up happening was once I went on TV, it was it was the community, whether it be our LGBTQ community, our Asian community, adoptee community, whatever it might be, those communities started reaching out and saying, oh my God, you're one of us. And I was like, oh my God, I am one of you. And so it was like this, this moment where I was educated and given permission to be me by way of the people watching me on TV, which was such a weird thing. So I learned far more than anyone probably learned just watching on TV.
0: Everybody was questioning whether or not you make Asian food. (laughs) And that wasn't part of your repertoire. That was, you were classically trained and, and, Mm and. You were not making egg rolls and fortune cookies on the side as a quick fire challenge. So there was a challenge I remember at the very end, they threw you Asian food as your challenge. This is a teaching lesson moment, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I have never, I've never, I've never cooked it before. I, it just was never part of my story. And being a chef, the whole purpose of wanting to cook for people and feeling like we're in the right lane is basically giving our life story to our Mm -hmm. diner. And my life story was not Asian food. It was not Korean food. It wasn't learning any of that. I watched Great Chefs of the World, which now to come think about it, they should have featured more Asian chefs, but they didn't. And it was predominantly French white men. And so that's where I first started learning what it looked like to cook.
0: So I wonder when that kimchi dish and that amazing, you know, Korean Dining experience gonna come from you.
2: You know, I that is hard. That is a hard question to answer because it's not that I don't want to want to learn a hundred percent about it. It is a bigger story, and it's opening a can of worms, really. Mm. That is far beyond just cooking for me. It means it means I haven't gone back to Korea. Um, I have wow. these roller coaster ideas of when I feel like it's right and if I'm personally ready. Um, But my expectation is very, very high, especially for that first trip. You know, people are like, well, just go and just explore and eat the food. And I'm like, but you don't, there's so much more built into me that I need to figure out that just going to explore the food feels like I'm doing a disservice to the first four months of my life, which is exploring what my life could have been, what it could have looked like. If someone gives you up for adoption, it's primarily because they can't take care of you or because they don't want you. So the life that I would have had would have been far less fortunate, I think, than what I currently have now. And so that means exploring that side and going to the orphanages and giving back to those kids that, uh, that it was me in that little crib amongst I don't know how many other babies and giving back in that sense. And so that is what my first trip needs to look like. So um, I think until that happens, I feel unworthy of saying Korean food is my story. I've I've gone through my head about all these different scenarios of what they could happen. Because if I think about every different scenario, then I'm kind of geared up and like, I, I tee myself up for anything that could possibly happen. I go, I find nothing. I'm not going to find my biological parents. I'm going to literally walk in, what, as best as I know, to walk in the shoes that I would have been walking in had I stayed. And that is the story, and that is what I want to feel, because I feel like there is an insurmountable amount of gratitude that I owe my life today, um, and the people that helped form that and shape that. And then there's also a lot, it's not about forgetting and saying, you know, like a big F you to somebody that didn't want me. It's about saying, you know, feeling grateful and saying thank you to the other side as mm-hmm. well. And to an entire culture that I was brought up in it. There were four months of my life, very important mm-hmm. four months of my life that truly shape who you are as an adult. And those are the things that I need to, um, that I want to explore. You know, and then the food, obviously, we have to eat to stay alive. Okay. So the food's gonna be there. Please tell me, Kristen, you, you, you do love spicy food. Please tell me that. I do. I okay, do. good. Yes. <laughs> do I have the, the spice tolerance of, of perhaps other Asians? Maybe not, but I am one that will, I mean, you know, the, the no sweat happens and, you know, you get shiny face. And it, yeah, I love it. I think it's highly addictive and it's delicious.
0: The culinary world is a very diverse place, although until recently, the media had portrayed a singular identity. Top Chef has always championed for inclusion, and with the advocacy of Pamela Lakshmi as executive producer, both women's voices and the AAPI communities are being celebrated. Kristen opens up about how her participation in the competition pressed her to explore her own identity and sparks an awareness of where her own journey may be leading.
2: I personally never realized how many Asian-American chefs there were, let alone ones that are wildly talented on television, along in competition, along with all the other different layers that it takes to be successful on that show. Speaking of Padma, I remember on the very first day, so you have all the chefs line up, and she goes down the line and she's like, you know, what's your name? How are you? Where are you from? Blah all that stuff and so she gets me and she said so where are you from and I was like I'm from Michigan and she's like no 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 where are you like where are you from I and I was like Michigan and so with this I was and I was completely 1000% genuinely baffled by the question she was like no no no. you got some color in you where are you from and I was like got it I am Korean and so like I need people to call Mm. it out for me um not because I'm ashamed of it, not because of any other reason, except for I did not grow up with other people that really look like me in a household that looked like me. Um, And so that was, it was pretty amazing. And so, you know, when you say about putting people that look like us in front of the camera to talk about whatever you want to talk about, um, it really is a therapeutic time. And it's something that is really powerful that I never really thought about it needing to be that way. You know, you just think of it, like, you go along your life and things happen, but it is so important, absolutely important.
0: And if I didn't reach out to the food community or if I didn't think about it, I would not have been aware how many Asian Americans are in the business. And we even think about it, there's a lot of Chinese restaurants out there. In the world, the elite, the Michelin star restaurant. And I have to tell you, in the very beginning, when I reach out to them, they all look at me like, why would we talk to you? What do you know about food? And then it becomes me writing a whole dissertation, an essay, this is <laughs> I was born. Here's my bio. By the time I finished my three-page bio with links that so they can see what I've done, and then the gateway started to open. And the very first chef that gave me a moment on the show is Ming Tsai. And oh, yeah. of course, I, get, I guilty him into it, right? I'm like, you have <laughs> the same last name as me, so I'm going to tell people that you're my uncle and you're not supporting me. <laughs> it was incredible. It yeah. was incredible. But what I learned from it is this. It wasn't just about the Asian community. It was about the food community. And I want to talk about that with you. Is that how incredible is that doing any type of crisis that happens? Chefs, food are the first people arriving and to take care of business, to make sure people are fit, before FEMA even arrives. I, I want to know how has that been for you and what have you been doing during yeah. this time? Because so you have a restaurant
2: I as do. well. Yeah.
0: And yes, yeah. it's, it's a pause. I remember reading it on your mm-hmm. Instagram. It's kind of in a pause. Where is this amazing DNA that's in every chef I've talked to so far
2: that they are making sure other people are not
0: hungry before they yeah. think of their own restaurant?
2: We don't choose to be chefs and to go into the food business as this like, yes, we love to cook for ourselves, but without an audience and without diners and without feeding people, we no longer have that pleasure. I. Could cook myself the most glamorous meal and get zero pleasure out of it, but you put one person in front of me that I'm doing it for. All of a sudden, things change, and it's it's the language of love is food, and it's the language of love, language of service and giving back in that sense. And so you can do it without talking. You can do it with, I mean, for the most part, pretty dang silent and just kind of go into your head and just start cooking. And for us, it feels like a very easy way to give back is to feed people. No one should be hungry. And I think, you know, we closed the restaurant in March. It's in Austin, Texas. We closed the restaurant in March. It is part of a larger hotel. So we are the main restaurant within the hotel. The hotel has since opened, you know, and we're looking forward to getting back in there. But in the meantime, it's about paying attention to what people are saying and thank God for social media, which is sometimes a major downfall. But I've learned an incredible amount of different organizations. And so, um, you know, how to best pair what i love to do which is food that intersects with someone else another small business Mm. or something that loves food and how we intersect to then give back to black lives matter to give back to the queer community give back in the asian community the adoptee community whatever it might be how do we then give back
0: we're learning in such a fast speed you know this is like oh my in high school that you take those speedy sat classes so you can like cram it in two weeks and get a perfect score i feel like that's where we're at right now we're yeah. literally just learning each day and and changing and pivoting each day how we can be a better person and, and even having a conversation with you today learning about what the culture identity how important that is that allow you to have your own time and own space to explore that how important that is and especially i applaud you for being such a supportive and loud noise in the lgbtq community for Asian people, we worry. oh, what's mom going to think? Oh, what, what's mom's friends going to think? Are they going to judge her because of me? I still have that, right? I still go through that and think about that. But luckily my mom has um, two gay people. <laughs> 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 her daughter is gay. And I'm Gotta gay, start so... somewhere, yeah. We kind of beat her on the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but she embraces us and loves us always. And and But be able to... To actually go, okay, I can live fully, hundred percent fully, not just the Asian American, Asian American with LGBTQ community, and that's that's something that I've learned this week and how important that is yeah. to be able to share that loudly because there are a lot of people still go through that don't have the luxury of of being able to just live and be.
2: Well, I think we are all in a position now where we're self-reflecting, where we're where we're switching the lens and magnifying the lens on ourselves and the people around us and the people that are, you know, eight degrees of separation around us. And now we're all in a position to be a more exceptional student, to Mm -hmm. be, we are all, and we all have the ability to be a teacher. um, And it's about, you know, whether it be an audience of one or a million, it doesn't matter. As long as you are saying something worth saying, Something good, something that brings change and conversation. Um, you know, it's all got to start somewhere. But I was always in this position where, like, well, if I can't change the whole thing, like, where do I start? I would get so overwhelmed with all the different things that had to change. And also living in a bubble, which I realized that I was, I was living in a very bubble life of my own that I also didn't recognize of all the things that were also going wrong until. Um, you really have to expand and do the work to to learn about it. It's not going to just fall in your lap. We got to like do the research, take the time, um, and have conversations, right? That that educate us all a little bit more. And so, you know, at the end of the day, like I used to think it was okay just being me. Like it's good enough. <laughs> like I'm I'm covering a lot of different bases here as a woman, as a chef, as being gay, as being adopted, as having all these, you know, issues and struggles that i that i carry (laughs) to this day um but that's not enough anymore it's Mm -hmm. about talking about it and and um pushing forth for all the things that really matter for not just me and the things that i stand for but all the things and for the people around me as well it's also making us recognize when we were being too quiet or when we weren't saying enough that fueled a lack of change
0: Thank you to Malik and Kristen. These conversations were inspiring and empowering. I also want to thank you both for your advocacy and courage. Thank you to all my listeners for your constant support. Please subscribe to this podcast for more open conversations. You can visit our website at letstalkwithusite.com and follow me on Instagram at usite88 for updates. Let's Talk is a production of 88 Phases. I'm your host, Yusai, Our director, Luis Jaime. And writer, editor, and producer, Trevor Swenjen.